In the 1960s, the Attorney General of the United States of America, Robert F. Kennedy, the brother of President John F. Kennedy, had declared open war on organised crime. Only two days after being sworn in the role, he had convinced all 27 agencies of the government to come together and share the information they had on the nation's gangsters in order to launch a campaign to fight organised crime. He would personally travel the country to his departments, urging each and every one to make organised crime their number one priority. As chief counsel to the McClellan Committee from 1957 to 1959, Kennedy taunted and grilled mobsters with questions after questions. His crusade against organised crime often put him at odds with FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, who saw communism as a greater threat. During Kennedy's term, convictions against organised crime members soared by 800%. Kennedy provided the FBI with a list of suspects that he wanted them to focus on, a list that would grow and grow. He went to Congress and had laws passed that made it easy to bug targets with wiretaps and to give more immunity to witnesses who crossed over to the government side. The number one name on Kennedy's list, his biggest target, was Teamsters Union President Jimmy Hoffa. Hoffa was one of the most recognisable faces in the US from the mid-50s to the mid-70s. At just the age of 19, whilst working as a truckloader and unloader of fruits and vegetables, after having dropped out of school to provide for his family after the death of his father, he organised a strike to improve working conditions. This victory put him on the map, and he was recruited by the Teamsters Local 299 as an organiser, encouraging truckers to join the union. Companies spared no expense in trying to ward off labour attempts, often hiring thugs and goons to harass and attack union organisers and workers that had gone on strike. They could, however, often hire cheap labour as replacements of those who had gone on strike, which forced the hand of the union men to line up and refuse to let the workers through to the picket lines. More often than not, huge brawls would break out amongst strikers, union men, mobsters and hired thugs. As Jimmy Hoffa himself put it, My scalp was laid open sufficiently wide to require stitches, no more than six times during the first year I was business agent of the local 299. I was beaten up by cops or strike breakers at least two dozen times that year. The unions, and in particular the Teamsters, hired their own muscle, and an age of arsons, bombings, beatings and murders erupted in the world of union organisation. And not only was the violence between unions and companies, but rival unions often fought for dominance between each other. In 1956, an investigative reporter called Victor Reisel featured anti-Hoffer Teamsters on his radio show. Reisel had been crusading against the criminal element of the labour unions, and on the same night of the radio broadcast, he was approached by a man on the sidewalk and had a cup of acid thrown at his face, blinding him. The attack had been ordered by the pro-Hoffer and racketeer Johnny Deal, who was charged with the crime. However, the acid thrower was later found dead, and other witnesses refused to cooperate, and the charges were dropped. This instance was one of the first examples showcasing Hoffer's alliances with gangsters and underworld figures. The US Senate responded to the blinding of Reisel and the subsequent public outrage by conducting live, televised hearings on the influence of racketeers on labour movement. 
later becoming known as the McLennan Committee hearings. Robert Kennedy was the principal interrogator during these hearings, and it is these hearings that were the battlefield for Kennedy and Hoffa, two men who had become mortal enemies. A nationwide teamster strike could bring the American economy to its knees. As such, Jimmy Hoffa was thought to be the most powerful man in the country next to the president, a statement declared by Bobby Kennedy himself. Hoffa became a celebrated public figure with his tough guy, in-your-face demeanour and attitude, and he was seen as a hero for bringing power and stability to the life of the blue-collar working American through increased wages, vacations, pensions and health care. In 1957, he became the president of the Teamsters, and as his power grew, so too did the influence of the mob on labour unions. Hoffa hired men to eliminate rivals and even traitors within his own ranks, as he said to Robert Kennedy when the two found themselves together at a private party on one occasion, I do to others what they do to me, only worse. Bobby Kennedy ran a furious campaign to bring Hoffa down, even creating a Get Hoffa squad with the goal to send him to jail. Hoffa's business ventures and choices of associates were scrutinised, but try as he might, Kennedy was unable to stop Hoffa slipping through his grasp. Kennedy tried Hoffa three times and failed to land a conviction in each of them. It is thought that on one summer night in 1962, a frustrated and angry Jimmy Hoffa asked a Teamsters official to murder Bobby Kennedy. According to the man, Hoffa said, I've got to do something about that son of a bitch Bobby Kennedy. He's got to go. The man Hoffa was speaking to was Edward Grady Partin, it is Parton's testimony at a jury tampering trial that would eventually send Jimmy Hoffa to prison, leading to his demise and ultimately his death. And who better to tell the tale of how Parton brought down Hoffa than the man who played Edward Parton in Martin Scorsese's The Irishman himself, Craig Vincent. Ed Parton was the president of Teamsters Local No. 5 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He was out on bail from a kidnapping charge and under indictment for diverting over $1,000 in union funds for his personal use. He was a large man, intimidating and tough-looking, and had a criminal record that dated all the way back to his youth, when he would steal guns from stores and sell them off. Jimmy Hoffa had made the mistake of trusting Parton and thinking that he was aligned with Carlos Marcello, a gangster and Hoffa ally, simply because he, like Marcello, was from Louisiana. Parton reported Hoffa's comments about killing Bobby Kennedy to the Get Hoffa squad, and he passed an FBI-administered lie detector test to strengthen his story. Parton would go on to serve as a guard at the door to Hoffa's suite during a trial against Hoffa for violating labor racketeering laws in 1962. Parton was given a recording device to tape calls he made with Hoffa and was instructed to look out for any attempts to bribe jurors, as in previous Hoffa trials, jury tampering was the suspected reason for Hoffa's acquittals. Interestingly, the charges against Hoffa in the trial only amounted to a misdemeanor, but jury tampering, which Hoffa would eventually be sent to prison for, was a felony crime. And make no mistake, Hoffa and his team began work on bribing members of the jury. He had a good defense, an excellent legal team, a respected fair judge overseeing the trial, and yet Hoffa still resorted to cheating. He took a risk that marked the beginning of his downfall. Why? Why would a man take such a risk? The answer is ego. Hoffa had a relatively clean record, and he didn't want that record tainted by the likes of Bobby Kennedy. 
Edward Parton reported to the Githoffa squad that an attempt would be made by a Teamsters local president to bribe the wife of a Tennessee State Highway Patrol trooper. The wife was on the jury, and agents followed the Teamster official to a deserted road where the state trooper was waiting. The two men sat and talked in the car. This revelation was put to the court, and though the Teamster official took the Fifth Amendment, when the state trooper was questioned, he eventually admitted that he was promised a promotion in exchange for an undisclosed favor, and his wife was removed from the jury. The exchange between the Teamsters official and the state trooper was shown in Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, but it was just one of many numerous cases of jury tampering carried out on the trial. For instance, Hoffa revealed to Parton that a $10,000 amount had been offered to the son of one of the jurors with a $5,000 down payment already paid before the trial. This juror was also removed from the jury. Jimmy Hoffa's defense team became convinced that the government was bugging their offices, not knowing that it was Edward Parton sitting right there as the men planned and schemed who was leaking the information. Ed Parton was even called to stand at trial, and like with the rest of Hoffa's entourage, he took the Fifth Amendment. The government would keep his defection a secret as long as possible. He was their trump card, their ace in the hole. Hoffa was eventually indicted on jury tampering charges, pleading not guilty and declaring that the charges were a result of the personal vendetta against him from Bobby Kennedy. The trial lasted for three months, with Hoffa confident of victory. But on the last day, the government called its last witness, and Edward Grady Parton walked into the courtroom. Hoffa was stunned, and his legal team erupted with protest, declaring that the U.S. government had planted a mole in their camp, which violated Hoffa's constitutional right to counsel. If proven, Parton's testimony would be thrown out, leaving Hoffa to walk free once again. But Parton attended the trial of his own accord. He reported to Walter Sheridan, the former FBI agent. He had never been instructed to spy on Hoffa's legal team, only be on the lookout for criminal activity. The judge accepted Parton as a witness, and he sat before the jury and linked Hoffa to numerous jury tampering instances. The two men sat and stared at each other, Parton not intimidated by Hoffa's glaring. Parton was cross-examined by the defense for almost five days, but they failed to break him down. He remained strong and steadfast, and when Hoffa took the stand after him, the usually confident and brash Teamsters president struggled, not knowing whether the government had tape recordings of his conversations with Parton and thus not being able to directly deny the accusations made against him, lest he be proven to be lying under oath. Hoffa's defense, caught out by the surprise witness, began resorting to every trick in the book to discredit Parton, even labeling him a drug addict, with the prosecution subsequently having Parton evaluated by experts who concluded that there was no evidence the Parton had ever used narcotics in his life. These futile attempts did nothing to deter from the eventual conclusion reached by the jury, which was that Jimmy Hoffa was guilty of jury tampering, and he was sentenced to eight years in prison as a result of his former associate, Edward Parton. Prison was just the beginning of the end for Jimmy Hoffa. Before he went inside, he placed Frank Fritzsimmons in his place as a temporary replacement. But Fritzsimmons enjoyed his new position, and when Hoffa was released from prison, he planned to run against Hoffa for the next election campaign. He also had the backing of the mob, as they found it easier to squeeze money out of the team's dispension fund when it was run by Fritzsimmons. Hoffa publicly threatened to expose Fritzsimmons' and the team's connection to organised crime, and, as the Irishman shows, 
The mafia is alleged to have felt uneasy by Hoffa's outburst and had him silenced once and for all on July the 30th, 1975. Thanks for watching.